0: was a shift that song wasn't it <laughs> um, yeah let's pray father may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you holy spirit we ask that you would come show us Jesus in a way that makes us fall deeper in love with him amen so I went to the zoo and um, I saw a baguette in a cage. And his, the zookeeper came over to me and said, it was bread in captivity. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're <laughs> uh, today we're talking about bread. Um, that was also my attempt not to come at you like a fire hose. So. Um, <laughs> we're talking about John 6. Um, and I was supposed to just do this small paragraph, but I'm really interested in the buildup to things. And that. That clip we just saw, actually that clip, keep that in your mind because it's going to be about an announcement for another group in the coming, you'll hear about it next week. But um, that thing called The Chosen, have any of you guys seen that? Some of you have. If you haven't, do it. It's free. It's a free app on your phone or your tablet or whatever. You can watch it on YouTube anyway. But, um, you know, I'm very interested in Jesus. I really like him. And so every time I see a new movie that's out about him, I always go see it. But I'm always kind of disappointed to be honest with you about it and I think a lot of that is because two hours just isn't enough time to develop kind of the characters and the relationships and things and one of the things about the chosen that's so good is because so far there's 16 episodes of it and you have they have time so when you if a miracle is going to happen you get time to watch how how it's going to affect all the people that are involved and when I'm reading John these days I see that he's really good about that um, as well so that's why I want to just start from the very beginning of John 6. But just one more endorsement for The Chosen. If you don't listen to anything, if you're, gonna, if you're about to zone out when the preacher starts talking and think about something else for the next 20 minutes, go home and watch The Chosen. That's, that's the thing I want you to remember more than anything. Honestly, it's that good. Um, a friend of mine said she was showing it to her young granddaughter and her granddaughter looked at her at one point and she said, why didn't anyone tell me he was like this? I mean, if that's not the best endorsement for anything. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Watch The Chosen if you get a chance. Um, Last time I preached here, our story started off with Jesus getting out of a boat and being surrounded by a bunch of people. And so we're going to start off the same way today. Jesus is getting off a boat, and again, the context is he just healed a man and told him to pick up his mat and walk on the Sabbath and had this big fight with the Pharisees about on his way out of there and telling them, it's like, look, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, which is, so he's starting to say some things about himself. So these crowds that are surrounding him when he gets out of the boat they have lots of different motivations, reasons to come, but they're there. Um, just start off right from the beginning. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And great a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Okay. So just like... It, it, the Chosen and, and setting things up, John's really good about giving you little hints, and he's going he's to ta- he's take us on a journey today up to the point where he says something. Uh, the first thing, hint he says there is the, the Passover feast was near. Does anyone here know another name for the Passover? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. Bread yes, there we go. Uh, feast of Unleavened Bread. So he throws that out there as just a little hint of where this story is going, and it gives you a little bit of foreshadowing. And he follows that up with a story of a hungry people who are in need of bread. And the way, I love John, how he tells the story. I think he's kind of cheeky the way he says some things. And he'll, he, he says that Jesus leaned over to Philip and is like, where are we going to find bread for all these people? Um, and, he, and John says he was just messing with Philip, basically. He was just kind of testing him to see what he'd say because he already knew what he was going to do. And you guys know the story. There's this kid and he's got five little barley loaves and two dried fish, which aren't very big and then he fed 5,000 men from it, right? I like to think about how big those crowds are. Um, Most scholars say, you know, there's 5,000 men and a lot of them think there might've been up to 15 to 20,000 people there if you count the women and children. So this is Red Rocks. Red Rocks holds on a packed night, 9,425 people or something like that. And so somewhere in between 5,000 and 20,000, five barley loaves getting passed around there and 12 basketfuls of bread were left over at the end. And I, and I just love how John talks. This is just the setup to another story. It's not about this, <laughs> this uh, feeding of the 5,000 people. That's about to set up something. So that's the first step in setting it up. Um, that's how many people got fed and 12 baskets of leftover bread. He doesn't mention how many baskets of leftover fish because he's got a point to tell us. Okay? Okay. So Jesus realizes after this, people are very excited about this, as you can imagine, um, and they want to make him king in a way that he doesn't want to be king. And if you want to hear more about that, see Tim's sermon from a couple weeks ago. He talked about that. Um, So Jesus does a sneaky little thing. He's like, hey, disciples, hey, go get on that boat because all these people are trying to get at me. They'll think I'm with you. Get on the boat and go out there while I slip away. Uh, I'm going to slip away, and we don't know what he did. I figure he was being alone with his father. He did that a lot. Um, and so they got away on the boat. Everyone saw them get on the boat, probably assumed Jesus got on him, and then they're like, where is he? Um, but later on, Jesus does what he needs to do, and then he says, okay, I think I need to go be with the disciples now, so you know what? I think I'm just going to walk. Well, that's, that's a kind of a fine thing, but they're out in the middle of a lake, so his walk is going to take him on top of the water to the Sea of Galilee, and again, John's funny storytelling, I think they're like, Jesus just keeps walking towards them and doesn't say anything, doesn't announce who he is. He just kind of waits to see what they do. And they're like, it's a ghost. And he's like, no, 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 it's me. And so they say, okay, come on the boat. And so as soon as he steps on the boat, they end up at their destination supernaturally. Um, It's a fascinating thing. They're in the middle of the lake. Jesus walks out, steps on their boat, and then instantly they're where they are. And again, John This is almost like a side story that he's telling. These are just amazing, astounding things. But it's almost like John was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one part. On the way, he walked out on the water. Uh, We thought he was a ghost. He jumped in our boat, and somehow we were transported to the shore instantly. Um, But that's not the point of my story. Let's get along. That's kind of how he says it. Um, When he gets on the shore, all these people are around, and they knew that he wasn't on the boat. Um, And somehow he'd gotten there way faster than he should have, but he's stepping off of the boat that he never got on. So there's this confusion among the people. But it's funny, the question they ask him is, uh, when did you get here? (laughs) Um, You'll find this story and the story of uh, the Samaritan woman at the well are pretty similar as far as how the questions get asked and like these non sequitur questions get asked. And Jesus answers the question that they really need to ask. And so they said, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, "Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill." You know I used to read this and think this was kind of a rebuke from Jesus, but the more I, I get to know him, I think that's, that's probably not. I think what he's saying is, "I see what you're hungry for, and I'm going to use that to get us to where we need to go. Because he's not mad at them. He's, he just uses the hunger that they are feeling. To bring them to where they need to be. And he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which is which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So he's saying big things about himself in that statement. The Son of Man. He's kind of taking that. That's a something that Daniel used to talk about the coming Messiah. And then he said, On the, the God, God the Father has put his seal of approval on the Son of Man keep in mind, he's not rebuking them for wanting to fill their bellies. He's using it as a stepping stone to get them to where they need to be. He has a tendency to do that. We're not pitting material bread versus spiritual bread. He uses one to get to the other. That's how Jesus works a lot. So then they asked him, okay, there's, there's, there's this food that doesn't spoil. There's, there's food that endures to eternal life. And they said, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God, that God requires? In other words, what do we have to do to get that bread that you're talking about? That bread seems better than what you were talking about before. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe on the one he has sent. I'm going to quickly tell you that there's another sermon in that statement, <laughs> particularly in that pre- preposition on. He's saying that you're not, it's not believing in like just I, I believe that these, th- these facts happen and I acquiesce to that in my mind. It's believe on, like I'm going to put Arrange my life to, to lean so much on these truths and this person that if it's not real, I will just fall and collapse. But the, again, that's another sermon. So the response to that is, so they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. All right, you want to hear a pet peeve I have of being the dad of a four-year-old? Um, in our household, I'm always on some weird diet thing. I'm not, it's either paleo or veganism or pescatarian or something. I'm just It's a neurosis I have, and I'm always eating like certain, not eating certain things. And Liz is usually on some, some kind of portion of what I'm doing as well. But we don't want Bo to have a weird relationship with food, so Bo gets to eat what he wants. You know, he eats normal, normal people food, right? And so as a result of that, I'm, sometimes Bo will ask me to make him something, and it's something that only he will eat in our house. And so it might take some effort or anything like that. And so I'll finish eating it, finish making this thing for him that he'll, he's the only person in the house that will eat. And I put it before him, and he puts one bite in his mouth. And I'm expecting, Dad, that's so thoughtful that you've made me this food, you know. Um, and he, as soon as that first bite gets in his mouth, he starts telling me what he wants for the next meal. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> like, wait, wait just a second. Let's, let's show a little gratitude here right now. Uh, but he's like, for dinner, I want this, and it's lunch, and he's got one bite in his mouth of that thing. This is a little like what's happening here. It's possible that, um, I don't know how, what the timeline is, but the way John tells the story, the timeline is it was just like yesterday that he created <laughs> enough bread to have 12 basketfuls of leftover bread after feeding that many people that we saw at Red Rocks, you know, you know five to 20,000 people. And so that bread may still be in their stomachs being digested when they're asking this question. Hey, what sign were you going to show us? It's like, is there something cooler than what I just did? Um, I'm fascinated by that. And again, I think John tells it so well when he, when he, the way he says it. Um, so this is my pet peeve. But Jesus doesn't seem to be bothered by this kind of thing. It's the perfect opportunity for him to meet a deeper need. And he knows that anything with a hint of him that people experience is going to make us hungrier for him. Okay, so that's the correct response. It seems like a selfish response, like, give me more. But it's not. It's the correct response. Anything of Jesus that is given to us, it's going to make us hungry for more of him. And we see as it it progresses that they want something continual. Um, Again, so they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, manna in the wilderness. Do you guys want to hear a fun piece of information that most Protestants don't know? Um, okay, do you guys know what the Apocrypha is? Just group of books uh, of the Bible that every other um, portion of Christianity has. The Catholic Church has the Apocrypha in their scriptures. The Orthodox has their church in their scriptures. And until... Um, the Reformation happened, they took out some books, okay? So most, the majority of Christians in the world have the book of 2 Maccabees in their Bible. And at the time of Jesus, that was in their scriptures and part of their history, okay? So something happened in 586 B.C., that's 586 years before Jesus was born, um, where the the Babylonian Empire was in power. King Nebuchadnezzar was their king, and they came and ransacked Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple. Okay, and so in Second Maccabees, it talks about Jeremiah going into the temple and grabbing stuff, getting the Ark out of there and the manna that was in the Ark, and I think the altar was in, in, uh, part of that as too. And he took it and he took it supposedly to Mount Sinai where Moses was uh, was at one point, found a cave and hid it in there and covered it up. And people tried to follow him and try to find where it was, but no one ever could. And so the the thought was. In 2 Maccabees, it says at that time when the Messiah comes, then he will feed them with manna again, okay? Um, in my research, it was fun. I came across an old professor of mine, Sam Storm, so I'm going to read you what he wrote. He said, according to 2 Maccabees 2, 4 through 7, when the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., either Jeremiah or an angel supposedly rescued the ark. It's supposedly because it's a Protestant. If it was a Catholic or an Orthodox, they wouldn't put supposedly in there because it's part of the scriptures, right? Um, together with the manna, both of which would be preserved underground on Mount Sinai until the Messianic age, when the manna would again become the food for God's people. When the Messiah would come, Jeremiah would reappear and deposit both the ark and the manna in the new temple in Jerusalem. And In a a quote from uh, 2 Maccabees, the place shall remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Okay, so the story said that when the Messiah came, and he would feed his people with manna again, right? And that's in the scriptures that these people would have known, and they remember that part of their history. So when they start asking, give us this bread, and what sign will you give us, and start bringing up manna, this is probably in the back of their minds, and they're asking more than we think they are. And so Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they responded, sir, they said, always give us this bread. And again, that's the correct response. It's a, it, sometimes it doesn't always get translated with the always, but it, it's a continuing verb that they want it to continue forever, right? They're trying to line up an ongoing meal delivery system <laughs> with this bread that allows like hello, fresh Galilee forever. Um, <laughs> that will just continue to come. And again, that we, I think sometimes we, we think that they're selfish and you just want to fill their bellies, but it's the right response. If Jesus is going to give me something, I want it to come and come and come and come and never stop coming, and I want to receive it forever, right? So that's not a selfish thing. That's the correct response to God, because that's what eternity is for us, guys. Uh, when we get there, we're going to have more and more and more of him, and we're going to want more and more and more of him, and that will just continue forever. And That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, so... To, to see what he's building up to, let's just start from the beginning. It starts right in verse, that, that first paragraph that I read you. He mentions the Passover feast, the feast of the unleavened bread. And then, two, then he creates enough bread to feed thousands of people with 12 basketfuls left over. There's abundance. You couldn't even eat it all if you tried. Then he says that there's this eternal bread that the Son of Man will give, Right? And then it keeps getting bigger. And then he says that the Father will give the true bread from heaven. Meaning everything else doesn't, isn't quite that true bread. It's even bigger than you think it is. And then he says that this true bread that comes down from heaven, it gives life to the whole world. It just, he just bumped it up a notch, right? This bread, it's more than what you think it is. It'll give life to the entire world. So he set this up. And then in verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. That's a statement. <laughs> you know, up until now, he's, uh, he's been hinting at things. He's been using these terms, the son of man, things like that, Lord of the Sabbath before he fed the 5,000. Um, but when he comes out and he says, I am the bread of life, that's just such a giant statement. And he says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. You know, until this point in, in human history, God was somebody who's up there who sometimes will send down something, right? It's a, we send up these things called prayers and, every, and sometimes he'll send something back to us from far away. And sometimes it looks like the thing we asked for, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but that's how the, the the whole thing worked. But what Jesus was saying was like, no, 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 it's not that anymore. You know, they're still thinking, how do I get this bread? And he's, he's saying, no, 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 I am the bread. And he'll continue to do this throughout his ministry. He's, he awakens a hunger, and he awakens a, a thirst for something that we really want, and that we're going to ask God for. And he says, no, 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 I am that thing. So it's like he, he awakens this hunger for bread in all of them. He even gives them a little taste of it that makes them want more. Then in the end, he's saying, I'm that bread. So he says, I am the sustainer of your life. I am the blessing that you're looking for. I am the life that you're seeking. And I'm not dropping off something at your door. I'm not the door dash of bread. But I'm coming to give you continual life for all eternity. When they say, continue to give us this bread, he says, I am that bread. And I will continue to come. And in using bread... Jesus is making this as easy as he possibly can. He's picking out the most tangible thing that we touch, we taste, we feel. Uh, I mean, it's not something, think about what you do with bread. Um, particularly the women in the, in the group. Um, during this time, the women, making bread was a part of their just life. They made it all the time. It was a staple that they would eat all the time. And it wasn't like you could just throw it in the oven or something like that. It was like, you'd start, you'd have grain. You'd crush the grain. You'd get out your pestle. You'd make it into a powder. I mean, you think about just doing this throughout the day with the technology that they had and how much time of this day is gonna, this is going to take up. So you, add, you, have your, you have your flour finally. You add a little, little yeast and water, and you knead it. And then you put it away, and you leave it for a while to go do some other things. you probably got kids to take care of. You might have some farm animals, other things to do. You come back sometime. How long does it take to, for bread to rise? Anybody know? Two hours. Come back two hours later, you have your little risen bread. Somehow you've got to build a fire at some point in the day to get that ready. Check the temperature. How do you do that during that time? I don't know. You put it in there, you watch it, and you take it out when it's done, you let it cool. How long is it of this day is you're taking up? And you're doing it every day. So when Jesus uses bread, there's a very intimate relationship with this. And he's, he's get, pulling us away from figuring everything out, right? Um, I always think that... Um, if I could choose, I'll choose two. The, the game I play is like if you could take any modern invention and bring it back to the time of Jesus, what would they think was the coolest thing? And I think the plane probably wins because that's pretty awesome, right? Uh, but I think the next thing is a bread maker. <laughs> I, I honestly do. I think if it, I mean, you show them your iPhone and all this stuff, they would be like, I don't know what that is. That sounds weird. But if you show them, you throw in these ingredients and you come back four hours later and there's an actual loaf of bread there, I'd be like, that I can use. I, I want that. I always think that. (laughs) Every time we make bread with the bread maker at home, I'm like, I think they would think this is the coolest thing ever. Uh, (laughs) um, But bread is something your body needs. It's something it wants. It's something that becomes one with you once you ingest it. It becomes part of your nourishment, part of who you are. And union is always what God is ending up with, with us. And I think bread is just like the simplest way to explain that to someone like us. It's such an intimate relationship. I was reading this author named James Boyce, and um, he has this wonderful question. It's a little bit of a revealing question. It can be a little convicting. Um, but when he uses bread, he's using, how tangible am, am I in your life? Uh, and James Boyce puts his question out there. He says, is he as real to you spiritually as something you can handle or taste? Is he as much a part of you as that which you eat? Don't think me blasphemous when I say that he must be as real to and useful to us as a hamburger and french fries or bread. I say this because although he's obviously far more real and useful than these, the unfortunate thing is that for many people he is much less. God, make me a person that you are more than a hamburger and french fries, that I, I treat you more tangibly and need you more than those things. So I have a question. Uh, we have a tendency in our Western Protestant Christianity, to think if we think through things enough, then that's how we receive from him. So my question is, what do you do with bread? I mean, do you study it? Do you pontificate upon it? Do you try to figure out what it wants from me? (laughs) You know? No, we enjoy it, right? We smell it, we feel it, we taste it. We take it into ourselves and allow it to become one with us, to nourish us and to change us. We allow it to enter into us and do what it wills for, to make our lives better. And Jesus is willing to come to us as bread. What a vulnerable thing to be bread before an eater, a person that can take you or leave you. Um, someone that can take you into himself with what he really wants, but he makes it enjoyable for us to do. He doesn't coerce us to do anything with it. So today I want to incorporate communion, our time of Eucharist, um, into what we're talking about today. Um Here's my thing. Can I, can I ask for your, uh, both your forgiveness and your indulgence and your imagination? Um, I had this vision of my mind. I went down to Trimpo Bakery. This is this really neat little French bakery down on Broadway. And, and I had them make a bunch of these for you guys. Um, and I'm sure when they came out of the oven, they were just so soft. And I just had my, in my mind, I was just thinking that there was just like steam coming off of them and all this kind of thing. Um, they, they're a day old now, and uh, <laughs> so uh, you ever heard of imaginative prayer? Can you kind of, can we engage our imaginations to picture it how it once was, um, <laughs> how I really wish it was right now, but it's not. Um, so when you come up for communion today, I'm going to just give you a whole roll. So I made, I had to make a lot of these things for you. Um, take off a piece of it, dip it in the wine and the, or the grape juice, but I want you to take it back your seat with you, um, got a gluten-free option here as well, um, did want to discriminate, um. so I just want to take it with you, and I just want you to think about it, when you get back to your seat, just take the bread, feel it, smell it, look at it, bite it, you know, eat it, um, and just think about, it and ask the Holy Spirit to bring us into, Jesus, show yourself to me through this bread. And we're going to give you a little bit of time. Because um, I think the Lord will share more about um, how that works than I c- ever could. So we just want to give you a little bit of time to do that with. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the loaf and he broke it. Saying, this is my body. It was broken for you. He also took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins do this in remembrance of me for the communion for servers please come forward yeah okay i'm just going to give you a basket basket. our table is open to anyone who loves jesus and we ask you to come down um share this time with him. We also, if you're not interested in taking communion, that's fine. But why don't you just come up and grab a piece of bread and take it right back to your seat and just have that experience with the Lord. All right, please, you're welcome to come down.